One's a bastard and the other's an asshole, so, you know, you just never know. Welcome to your Buzz Rant and Rave podcast. We're back for uh, season one. I don't know what this is, but uh, we're going to try to uh, make this a little more regular and record uh, something to publish hopefully once about every two weeks going forward. Tonight I'm here with Dan Suter and Amy Watts. Hello! And we talked since the, the Lost Christmas episode. Yeah, eventually the Lost Christmas episode will come out. Or like holiday episode. <laughs> it's like the Star Wars Christmas special. And the Bath is Good is the heart. <laughs> and the Bath is Good is a Star Wars Christmas special. Hey, 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 we did good. Still technically continuity for Star Wars nerds. So since it's August, we're going to talk a little bit about summer entertainment. Movie season, it's the big time of year when all of the big blockbusters are out. TV land, it's the slowest time of year when everything is kind of off and it's time for reality shows and B-grade. Or so the, or so the theory goes. I mean, maybe that's our point of entry is with summer television. Um, I think the last couple of years have seen an uptick in quality. Um you know, it, maybe there were more spring, early summer, but we saw Game of Thrones airing early this summer, combined with uh, Orphan Black, which was sort of a, a cult hit that kind of is, is gaining steam thanks to a quick DVD release. Um, you know, then there, then we've got stuff like, you know, The Newsroom, which is very popular. Um, I think summer, summer TV's actually stepped up in recent years. Orphan Black really... I'm, and I'm only about halfway through it. it. Doesn't strike me as you know quality with a capital Q TV in the same way that something like Game of Thrones or uh, Treme or uh, Breaking Bad does. But rather, it's more in the line of like what used to be syndicated television. Like that would have been something that you would see reliably on a weekend afternoon on you know, Channel Nine or Eleven. Something in the same way that you'd see like Star Trek or Babylon 5. Uh, Amy, have you seen Orphan Black? I have watched the first half of the first episode. <laughs> well, I've, I've seen the whole thing. Um, I think that it's sort of getting a little overhyped at this point. You know, I like it. I don't, I wouldn't call it quality with a capital Q. Um, but I think it is a step up from maybe some of those first run syndication series. Um, you mean it's no? What was that? Robin Hood: The Adventure Continues, or something? <laughs> uh, yeah, there's that. There's like Legend of the Seeker. You know, it's a little better than Xena or The Adventures of Hercules. I think. <gasps> yeah, there was that Xena? one with uh, Bruce Campbell, Jack of All Trades. I think it was. <laughs> that was good. Cleopatra uh, twenty five twenty five. Oh no, County was good. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the the adventures of Briscoe County Jr. basically a ripoff of, uh, well, I, I I don't know. To me, that was always tonally similar to like Buckaroo Bonsai, if not content wise. It was just kind of wacky, um, and a little wacky goes a long way. But um, I don't know. There's I think uh, if you look at what USA is doing, USA kind of got its its new its when it kind of came into relevance with original programming with stuff like Burn Notice. It started, they pretty much were always summer series. It was that Royal Pains, which were their first two really big series, if I recall. And well, and Suits right now. Well, Suits, suits is, big. is really good. Yeah, and I'd People say. Loves. Okay, I've never seen Suits, but I'd say the other two are really in line with this kind of 
not aspiring to be great, but just aspiring to be good and succeeding at it. Like setting... Well, now, see, if, if you read what, what I posted on um, Alyssa Things Thrown five minutes ago earlier this week about Suits, Suits is getting up there in quality. I mean, they've ditched kind of the high concept premise for the most part. And so now it's all like kind of corporate intrigue stuff. And it's really good. I know they have really good guest stars. I know they have Lord Varys on is like a semi regular. Uh, well, and um, Caitlin Hill? Stark has been. <laughs> Caitlin Stark has had a recurring guest spot. Oh uh, yeah, uh, Michelle Fairley. Yeah, I love. Yeah. I, I I I this this spring was mostly absorbed with Game of Thrones. I read the books last last uh, fall, all all five that have been released, and then I sort of was just counting down the days till the. Till the series, but you know, the I think I we have I think Alan Seppenwall has talked about it a fair bit, but we have seen expansion into the summer. Look at uh, Under the Dome, which I don't think it's great, but it's getting really good ratings as a summer series. Yeah, it, and summer's reviews. Yeah, summer's always been popular time. I mean, Survivor debuted as a summer show in two thousand. Yes, that's true. Um, that's true. So you think you can dance has been a big buzzy thing for the last few summers um and uh you know rock band with uh some a whole bunch of terrible musicians was a a fun summer thing a few years ago (laughs) (laughs) well it's also i don't know i just feel that we've sort of gotten you know people made fun of nbc like four or five years ago when they were like we're gonna premiere shows all year long and then all of a sudden, it's kind of worked. Don't forget that Castle started as a spring series. That premiered in, like, April. Um, well, happy- and Grey's Anatomy started with, like, six seasons, six episodes. Yeah. Uh, in it, its first season. Parks and Rec and, and Castle, I think, were spring premieres with shorter seasons. Um, oh, there was a... Oh, I, just, I just lost a really good example. Oh, Happy Endings was basically... A summer burnout. Oh yeah, that was a success story. And they got well, they got two years. They got an extra two years out of it. You know that I call it a a pretty good success. Um, But I I think one of the things is that summer is lighter overall. It allows some of these things to come to the surface and be more talked about and be more seen because summer is lighter. There's nothing like Sundays in the spring where we had Game of Thrones, Mad Men, The Good Wife, Amazing Race. Bob's Burgers, The Simpsons, uh, Veep, Girls, girls, all on Sunday nights. There was a while where the only TV I was recording was Sunday night TV and watching it throughout the week. Yeah, I was, what was happening to me is I would stay up late and watch Mad Men and Game of Thrones, and then I would parcel the rest of it out through the week. I don't know what I'm going to do this year, guys. This is my first fall TV season with a full-time job, with a a 40-hour-a-week office job. I don't know how I'm going to watch all this television. You just give up sleep. It works. Ugh. I already did that, though. I watch watch way too much television. I I may have to be judicious. The trick is pare down to what's essential. Ugh. Which, which, speaking of essential, has to include things like Sharknado. (laughs) Which is by far the best thing I've watched in... Weeks, I have not uh, seen Sharknado. Other than Breaking Bad and Orange is the New Black, and uh, I, I, please tell me your Sharknado enjoyment is heavily ironic. Mostly ironic, 
But I would say Sharknado really isn't any different than any of the other Siffy movies of the week that have been on for the last few years. It's no different than Jersey Shore Shark Attack. It just seems to have come at a time where everyone was watching Siffy and talking about it on Twitter on the Thursday night. But it, but it only had like what, like one point four million viewers. Like it wasn't even their highest rated original. Like this, this month or something like that in its first run but it's also been on a few other times and the ratings apparently have grown and it's also been uh to the point where it's been in movie theaters i was oh, gonna yeah. say didn't they have theatrical showings yeah they had midnight theatrical showings a week or two ago now we, we've you know t- it ties in with summer series and sort of watching habits i Maybe it's my age. I'm only 24. I never got into mystery. And I'm a geek. I'm a, I'm not only a sci-fi nerd, but I'm a comedy nerd. I never got into Mystery Science Theater 3000. I never got into the hate watch. Like, I really have never caught into that. Is that just a generational thing, you think? Or I, I think it would no, be the opposite. I... That younger people tend to be much more media savvy than Gen Xers and tend to you know, have this meta appreciation for commenting on stuff. Although I'll say that, I mean, my experience working with the younger set, you know, being around them every day for my day job is that Andrew, people our age are way more into kind of irony than, than the, than the Dan's age group. They're like all earnest and shit. I don't know why. I don't know what in their childhood, like, gave them feelings and shit but there it is so i mean that's true i'd say i, it's I can kind of see why i think that's true i can kind of see why dan is like eh, and 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 it fit right in with all the people our age watching it and, and commenting on it on twitter i think you're right I think there's much more of um i guess it's much more nurturing parents in the uh in the 90s that have uh that didn't create the same kind of cynicism and sarcasm that is uh you know that that lives. it's 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 the parents in seventh heaven versus the parents from Freaks and Geeks. Even though Freaks and Geeks was a two thousand show, the kids in the eighties. You know, we I, were latchkey children. We knew we didn't matter. <laughs> well, you know, but even then, you know, I when I watch things, there are very few things that I maybe I I feel like I'm abnormal in this way. There are very few things I want to watch with Twitter up. I. I, you know, there's two types. I've talked about this before, like a year ago on, on the podcast, but there are shows I watch that are laundry folding, internet browsing, Facebook shows, and there are shows where I shut everything else off and, you know, put my phone on vibrate even and watch and watch. And that's like Game of Thrones, Mad Men, Breaking Bad, you know, The Good Wife, if they're in a good stretch, you know, there are shows that I, that I basically shut down the rest of my life for, and there are shows I don't. And what I've gotten good at, I think, is cutting out the shows that I that I'm only iffy on because I, I do have less time than before. But if to me, like, if the whole point of the show is to make fun of how bad it is, I kind of just rather spend my time watching something I actually like, you know? Because well, and I- that's why Sharknado coming out when it did, there wasn't a whole lot else on. I will give it that, yeah. That people were watching that they actually wanted to talk about because they loved it. But Andrew mentioned Liz and Dick too, and I feel like, I uh, you know, I'll, that was I'll kind that of... was hilarious on its own. Even watching it without Twitter, it was just so but, terrible. 
that it was but, but funny. The th- but, the, but the thing is, like, I feel like people were waiting for a month to use that thing like a comedy pinata. That they were just going to swing their tweet. <laughs> they were going to swing their tweet sticks and all the delicious snarky candy. And I'm not, and I'm not a Pollyanna. I'm really mean. I, I was said really mean things about uh, the site of the Battle of Gettysburg in a Facebook message today. I said some pretty mean things about Pennsylvania that I kind of regret. Um, but to me, to me, it's just like, you know, I feel like there was this eagerness to really beat beat it down. And the same thing with like smash like i don't get this glee of like oh this thing is so terrible we're gonna we're gonna make fun of it so hard and i was like well couldn't we just like watch good stuff and talk about it after because well the thing about time in my life well two things one the thing about smash is that it was actually it it had some elements of being a good show like it i heard the songs were good the songs were great mark shaman uh was one of the writers of of music and uh at least one other actual broadway songwriter composer was was working on it and they got a lot of the theater stuff right the the location stuff was all very much felt right it felt it was very well done about being about the broadway show it's just that all of the everything else the characters just had no relation to reality and so there were good things to watch in the show but the core of it the story the writing was just so and, and Cat and Fee were just so non, not there. So there was enough to hold on to to make it worth watching and enough that was just terrible to make fun of. So what is it, what is it that makes something Twitter fair? Uh, like, is it, is it, I feel like, and, and I'm going to go this, it's camp. I think that camp is like the number one thing people go after. Uh, no, because I, I would, I would argue against that actually, because I think that, to me, camp is almost done knowingly, right? Like RuPaul's Drag Race to me is camp. Right? Well, I think it's knowing camp. It's too. like a camp. It's a camp reality show in that they are making a very serious reality show with prizes and getting voted out, and the contestants really have their heart in it. But everything about it is done with a very arched eyebrow by the creator and by RuPaul, the host. But I mean. With Smash, I don't think they set. I don't think they were setting out to make a camp classic. Well, but here's the thing: I think that there's knowing camp, which is more like Arch, and then there's camp, which is just camp that aspired to be more, but it it fell to camp. Like, you know, I don't think camp is inherently pejorative, but I I feel that there's Arch, which is like knowing camp, and then there's camp. Like Listen Dick, would you say Listen Dick wasn't campy? No, I, I think I didn't it, watch it. I think it was intentionally show. Oh no! See, I think Liz and Dick was made entirely earnestly. I think they thought they were making great art. No, I, think they, I thought don't. They were making an amazing bio. I don't think so at all. I think if you had seen any of the dailies of Lindsay Lohan trying to be Liz Taylor, you would know that they were not taking that seriously. There's no way anyone could see that performance and take it anywhere near seriously. And even the, the performance that Jorah Mormont was doing as Richard Burton was so unserious. Wait, wait, Jorah Mormont? Oh, no, was that's that? no, he, no. He it wasn't Jorah Mormont. It was. Uh, oh, I saw he was in something else. Um, uh, I don't know. I I don't know. I wasn't familiar with that. Ian Glenn. Ian. Oh, he was in. Uh, he was in Downton Abbey. He played a uh, a suitor of the eldest daughter. 
during season uh, yeah. something I, or I still have not gotten there with Downton Abbey. Sorry, guys. I, I was gonna say if it was Ian, I might have actually watched it because I love him. I, I have like an I have like a fifteen thousand word Emmy preview that I've been pecking away at, and my biggest weakness is not having seen Downton Abbey. You're not so. missing much. It's I'm not sure why it's such Emmy fodder. It's not Um it I it's 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 soapy. It's just a palette swapped soap opera and yeah, people it's... will always love that. It's Not soapy bad, with soap as a yeah. It's it's great costumes. It's kind of like uh, reminds me a lot of Orphan Black, it, or it doesn't aspire to be too much. But what it does, it does it ha- it does one thing very well. And with Downton Abbey, it's costumes and period pieces, and well, Maggie Smith, who's awesome. But they're saying big words with English accents, so it has to be good. Of course, so, English what? accents make it erudite. But and here's what I'm gonna I'm we've been looking at this as like a negative thing. I'm gonna use camp as a uh I there's a series that I'm picking up almost entirely because of Twitter. I'm gonna try to watch the first two seasons of Scandal before the television series starts. And I would not consider watching that show if I didn't see so much Twitter traffic about it. It's a roller coaster. I mean, I don't always think it's good, but it's a roller coaster. I mean, you're talking to somebody, one of my absolute favorite movies is Flash Gordon. And I mean, it's kind of considered to be a camp classic. But I think going into that, Dino De Laurentiis was not trying to make a masterpiece. He was trying to make a movie that a lot of people would want to watch. And in that way, he succeeded, you know, because it still endures. Would you say that he saved every one of us? He did, he did. There's a lovely rumor that goes around, and if it's wrong, if it's an urban legend, I don't want to know that the script burned, like every like the warehouse that had all the script in it, and it burned near the beginning of production. So they basically just were writing it as they went along, <laughs> and I want that to be true. I I have to say I enjoyed uh, the movie Ted a lot more than I thought I was going to, and it's almost entirely because of the runner about Flash Gordon and then the appearance of the actor. I Ted had some issues, but in the end, I felt positively about it because of the Flash Gordon jokes. Like that was the tip. That was the 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 equilibrium breaker in the positive direction for me. But and I think for me, the thing about camp is there's a certain amount of I don't know. It camp. I get what you're saying about camp not always being a negative word. Um. But I feel like over time, it's been given that connotation of camp equal negative. Well, I, I want to try and... Oh, no, no, you finished. Sorry. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I, I think the thing for me is that if the creator was setting out to make something entertaining, you know, then that to me is okay to enjoy as camp. But I, I don't know. I feel mean-spirited if I know that someone put their heart and soul into something and we're sitting there making fun of it, like that just feels mean to me. Okay. Well, actually I'm going to try and tie this all together. Um, Let's think back to mid that we, you mentioned midnight showings of Sharknado. Think back to the classic midnight movies. What's the most classic midnight movie of all time? Well, Rocky horror, right? Well, you have Rocky horror. And then the modern classic of midnight movie, as far as like the last, you know, decade and a half has been 
the room the room gets shown every weekend here at midnight for art house cinema it, the same and see to me the difference there is that rocky horror was supposed to be fun yes. and it is and the room was supposed to be meaningful. Tommy Wiseau. Horrible. Tommy Wiseau has now gone back and claimed he knew what he was doing, but he's really just co-opting other people's ironic enjoyment of his work. And but the room, I know the room gets shown at least once a month here in Denver at a beautiful theater, actually. Uh, but then in the last half decade, or I think it's the last three or four years, had the the new Midnight Classic, which I see pop up a lot, is Birdemic, which. Birdemic and The Room are in the same category to me of like things that were made and not made well that people are now enjoying ironically, whereas those are unintentional camp. Whereas Rocky Horror is the best form of arch, of knowing camp. And I think, you know, the whole thing with the Rocky Horror phenomenon and the whole midnight movie thing, even they, you know, they predate our sort of rapid rapid reaction social media culture but i think it's the same impulse the the impulse to engage with culture in an at times adversarial but just to comment on culture and that's why you have all those traditions with uh the rocky horror there there are all those things that if you've never been to a midnight show and you don't know about but if you do you know when you're supposed to yell what thing and the same thing with the room and when you're supposed to throw the spoons at the screen and it's a way of engaging with the culture and commenting on it. And I think that Twitter has just taken that experience and applied it to everything, writ large, to sports. I think some of the most fun I've had has been just being on Twitter during uh, the Oscars, during the Emmys, during the Super Bowl, uh, during during playoff games. For I definitely think sports. I I definitely think that the live experience, the Twitter experience, has greatly enhanced viewing of things like award shows. I would not watch the Oscars or the Emmys or the MTV Awards live if it wasn't syncing up with Twitter. I mean, I'm an awards nerd, so I would probably watch anyway. But um, I'm not saying I, I wouldn't I, watch, but I would probably start an hour later, fast forward through all the commercials. and Exactly! Out. It kills me now. I have to watch the damn things live, including the commercials, so that I can keep up with what people are saying on Twitter. But it's it's during the ads that you can, you know, refresh all the live blogs you're following and and start making pithy comments on Twitter. And I think that's the same. I think it's the same instinct, the same midnight movie, you know, when it, it's it's the desire to not necessarily engage with culture, but engage with others about culture, you know, within the context of a, a work. And as you know, I think that's the success of Mystery Science Theater. And I think that's the success of scandals you know scandal twitter and the lizard dick and sharknado twitter experiences where you know they've done decent ratings and re-airings but their overall numbers are not what you would think based on the amount of twitter traffic they got but the other thing is that twitter has made the stakes much higher because have you listened to uh seppenwall and feinberg's podcast this week yet i haven't listened to this week's well they talk about the transition of people from Twitter to writing staffs. There have been a number of people who were, whose Twitter accounts got them jobs writing for television or, oh, wow. or book deals. Like, for example, the uh, Shit My Dad Says guy. Justin was, Halper. Jumping, yeah, Shit My Dad Says was a brilliant Twitter feed that became a book that became a TV show. Um, uh, 
there's a starring the starring the starring Canadian national hero William Shatner. Yes, the guy from uh, Modern Seinfeld apparently got staffed on either a, either a book deal or staffed on a TV show recently. Um, and there are other writers who came up being funny Rob on Delaney. Twitter. Rob, Rob Delaney. I mean, he was a stand-up, but he made his bones basically getting retweeted by Patton Oswalt. Yeah. Patton Oswalt has been the... One of the underrated parts of Patton Oswalt's Twitter experience is that he was the the Roger Ebert of comedy, where Roger Ebert would retweet other writers and poets and annoying uh, gag Twitters. Um, well, they were like poetry gag Twitters, so I guess they were just, you know, uh, high class and bad as opposed to low class. But um, Patton Oswalt was retweeting people he found funny, and he, you know, that's how he, you know, Jenny Johnson High Five famously, who had a run-in with Chris Brown on Twitter, but she was just like a news producer in like Houston, Texas or something like that, who he started retweeting. And he did the same thing with Rob Delaney, who was a kind of a, a working standup who happened to be the funniest guy on Twitter. Now he's got a TV show. Yeah. Megan Amram went from Twitter to the writer's room of Parks and Recreation. Okay. Um, and and I- here's what Rob Delaney and Megan, what's her face have in common. I can't follow either one of them because I can't bear to look at their avatars. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. That's, that's, but you know what, my. But you also you know need I to follow them because they're going to be retweeted by anything funny they say is going to be retweeted well, into your feed. And you then I have to put words. my thumb over the screen to hide the thong and the ugly face. <laughs> well, you, 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 you meatloaf me. You took the words right out of my mouth. I was going <laughs> to say, I was going to say, because anything, there's a lot of people I don't follow because I know anything that they say of consequence is going to get retweeted. It's why I don't need to follow gag accounts anymore. I don't um, follow Stephen Colbert. I don't follow Steve Martin for those for those exact reasons. You know, I think the yeah, pretty much. That's anything they anything they say. It's why I unfollowed Kanye West back when he was a Twitter phenomenon when he first joined because everything he said was getting retweeted. To be fair, Aziz Ansari alone. If you follow Aziz Ansari, you know exactly what's going on in Kanye's life. <laughs> um, but I but you know I think that. I think that the, the well, you mentioned Justin Halpern. He's kind of the first test case. He was the first guy to really blow up on Twitter. I, you know, I forget who the first like blog was to get a book, but or the first Tumblr, you know. But um, you know, probably stuff boy people like was the first like blog to book success story. Really, no, um, there there, right, there were a uh, number of blog to books before that. Uh, was he pretty you're just too, you're, they were before your time, young Daniel. Yes, but many people who were blogging in the early aughts translated that into successful book deals and i and i have to say um i actually really i really i read justin halpern's two books i think shit my dad says was pretty good i actually really enjoyed his second book uh i suck at girls because that was just a a a pretty enjoyable memoir you know it's hard for i think a 30 year old to write a memoir but it it, you know it was a it's a pretty enjoyable book and i you know i didn't watch the show i'm not gonna lie but i've always found his essays pretty appealing and um uh, I, another another writer who I think is actually there's it's not necessarily the Twitter path, but um, when you look at sort of the early stages of the Gawker Empire, there are a lot of prominent commenters who then went on to be editors of the sites, and some of them is specifically Drew McGarry uh, started as a commenter, then he started blogging with a bunch of other guys. They've all kind of gone on to big internet things. But he's written a couple of books, including a science fiction book that got pretty good reviews, uh, The Postmortal, 
And he just wrote a, a, a book on fatherhood, which is really, you know, typically in his self-depreciating um, hyperbolic style, which is also getting pretty good reviews. So, you know, it, we're, we kind of got a little far afield, but the Internet has opened up a lot of avenues for uh, for people to, to get noticed and to get content. And even then, um, going, getting back to the whole live tweeting thing, you know, everyone, I think, has had their one tweet that blew up, you know, and got like 50 retweets because they said something about the Black Eyed Peas during the Super Bowl. That was me. Um, and Or, you know, they've had a celebrity retweet some joke they made. I had... I had two internet run-ins with John Hodgman in one calendar week, and it it was almost entirely uh, him him you know one was answering a question on an ask me anything he did, and another was uh, retweeting a piece of something I said about his uh, his comedy special. Didn't even tag him; he was searching for himself. But you know, I I think that that's you know everyone has their moment in the sun. These people are just regularly funny. I think that's part of the reason why things like the the internet train wrecks or the TV train wrecks seem to be so popular because they're easy fodder. And if Sharknado is trending, if you write something funny about Sharknado, it'll get picked up and retweeted. Well, and well I mean, it's easy to write something funny about uh, Steve Sanders jumping into a op- the shark's open mouth with a chainsaw. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it, to be fair, it's entirely a Jonah and the Whale allegory. There's a Romanic cleft from the Bible, <laughs> the Old Testament. But, I, you know, actually, I mean, I, I don't want to get too philosophical about the nature of Twitter, but I, I think, uh, now I will. Um, I, I think that it's during events like that that you actually, like, expand your Twitter circle. Because really, for me, I have the people I talk to on Twitter. I have the people I know through playing fantasy sports. And then I have the thing throwers, and that's basically the people I actually talk to. I follow some celebrities that I like, and I, I think my follow is a vote of vote of confidence in that celebrity or whatever. You know, like your Nathan Fillions and your your Neil Patrick Harris's, um, you know. But then, but then I think it's really when you know, you, I don't get out of my Twitter circle that much unless it's people are getting wildly retweeted in the heat of, in the heat of you know, uh, snarking about. Emmy, the Emmy's pre-show or something. Well, I always find it interesting to see the various worlds of Twitter that I, I'm a part of collide. Like I follow various internet policy nerds, various uh, copyright and trademark law people, various entertainment people, and various friends from real life, and uh, some various music things. And to see the intersections of some of those things can be fascinating. Well... I have to say, I, maybe I'm also just odd, but none of my, I don't have many of my real friends who are active on Twitter. I should say real life friends. I consider my internet friends real friends. Um, although I have now met two things throwers in, in person now, neither of which are you. <laughs> so It's okay. We only feel, we only feel slighted a little bit. Well, you can, you can, you can take it up with Russ and Sarah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I think that it's, I, so I know I was kind of negative at the beginning about this whole, you know, Twitter snark thing, but in the end I do. I and some of my favorite conversations about culture happen on Twitter. I think they just don't happen during the event itself, you know? Now I'll say what the thing that I find somewhat frustrating is when my Twitter feed is suddenly all about hate watching something that I'm not watching. Like, I pretty much avoid Twitter on Monday nights 
because I don't want to hear shit about The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. Oh, I watched yeah. neither of those shows. I've never watched it. And it is amazing to me how many otherwise smart people in my Twitter feeds, that's what they want to talk about for two hours every Monday night. It kills me. So, I mean, I just avoid it because I'm like, I'm left out of that. And so Twitter is not fun. The signal to noise, the noise gets way too high during that. Well, you just have to use a client the, that, that you can filter out various t- hashtags or, or words that you don't need to, that you can then avoid without having to be angry about scrolling through that. But at the same time, I don't, I don't want to filter. I, I, you know, my, I've, I carefully hit, I've carefully curated my Twitter experience. I, I don't know. I sort of accept it. I'm like, oh, if these people I follow are all about The Bachelor or that, it's like, well, those are the people I've, I've chosen. And to be fair, you know, I, I enjoy challenging myself. You know, I, I love the people from Extra Hot Great, but you know, they, you know, they say things about shows I like. You know, they kind of universally hate Community. And until last year, I, I felt much differently than they did. But I think sometimes you, you well, kind of would... have to challenge. I think that's an example of that uh, Generation X millennial divide. Well, uh, well, I don't know. I, I think that uh, I think that there's a huge Gen X influence on community. I mean, Dan Harmon's all about pop culture references, and I think that the show had a level of earnestness to it. But I think it was also kind of it could be a very acidic show. That show. Oh no, I, I think Community itself is a very is very in that vein of snarking on things and commenting on things, even if it isn't doing it directly. But I think the idea of being unhappy with someone snarking on something that you enjoy unironically and enthusiastically is that divide. I can see that. I, I, I can, I can see that a lot. So we, got, we kind of got far afield, but I, you know, I think this, that I, I think what I tie trying to tie it back into you know, summer television, you know, I think maybe if I'm going to postulate, you know, maybe it's because the summer kind of weeds out the people who are, are fair weather. Who have better things to do. Well, I was going to call them fair weather watchers, but really they're foul weather watchers. They only want to watch in the, when it's cold and dark out. Whereas I'm perfectly happy to watch television all the live long day when it's a beautiful (laughs) sunshiny day out. Um, I try to force myself outside, you know. Outside, but... it's scary and dangerous, and who needs it? You get burnt and bit, and no. Yeah, but you live in the South, where it's miserable and hot all of the time. Yeah, yeah my, my friend... My, As opposed my friend to most just, of the time, like it is here in New York. My friend just moved to rural western Georgia, and uh, he hates the weather. He hates it a lot, and he's from Colorado, and I moved to Colorado. And I can see why TV viewership generally decreases during the summer because I feel guilty. I feel guilty when I come home at 5 o'clock, 5.30 at night, and I don't go out and bike ride. Everyone here in Boulder is a triathlete and an Olympic-level runner. And, you know, I'm just a I'm just a, a schlubby culture dude, and now I have to go out and bike and do sit-ups and stuff. Ugh. <laughs> now, see, here the problem I, is if you go outside, you die in the summer. So you just stay inside and watch less of TV. Because <laughs> if you go outside, it's like 98% humidity and 98 degrees and, and, and it's just horrible. So you come inside where your climate controlled house has adjusted the humidity and cooled things down and it's much happier. 
And here it is miserable in the summer. It is hot, except uh, not, but not always. Sometimes it's like today where it's just perfect and beautiful. And it's summer. We have, we have seasons here in New York. So in the summer, you do have to get outside and enjoy it and do a triathlon or go out on a bike, even if it's hot and miserable. Whereas in Boulder, it's just always nice. It's, it's pretty much always nice. We had a stretch where it was like high 90s, but now we're getting cold at night again. We're getting, we're getting into, we're probably still a month away from sweater weather, month and a half, but I'm, I'm, I'm already counting down the days. But getting, you know, thinking about... Um, I was going to say, are we really talking about the weather, guys? We are, really? we are actually the using the weather as a, a bridge to starting to wrap up. Well, yeah. <laughs> Wrap um, up. I, gonna... I didn't get to talk about any of my TV or any of my movies. Go ahead. Okay, so we're gonna have to. We'll have to continue this at a future time. Do we want to? Do we want to quickly drop in what we're gonna? We're gonna. Uh, you guys are gonna read for the next podcast. Do we want to just? Are we really let... doing that? Uh, yes, right, we're we'll, really we'll... doing that. <sighs> all right. It meant so. What we if you could if you, do anyone... is. Uh, to that one, what we could do is continue pick this up next week and continue with this topic, and then the next time, pick up with uh, the graphic novels. I can't well, believe okay, you're going to so... make a librarian read. Well, okay, so but well, we it's can... not really we reading; can... it's picture book reading. We've already decided what you guys are going to read, so now you have two weeks to deal with. But we don't have to announce it for a week, so you can make some headway. Wait, wait, wait! Which one are we doing? I hope we're doing. I want to do the Bechdel one. Oh. Do both. We're going to do the, the two of those. I have you to read two books? You can do them in like Crashed a day. on a cracker. Okay. If you, so if the, you don't have a busy... So the, the short thing is, the next step is graphic novels. You know, I have never read a graphic novel except for Watchmen, and Amy has tried to read some, but hated every single one that she's tried to read. No, Why I, the Last Man is phenomenal. I, on the other hand, have read a lot of graphic novels, and I a lot of times I count them as some of the better fiction I've read. So much in the way that we were uh, compelling culture on each other in the past with uh, The Vampire Diaries and Shameless and The Wire, um, I am compelling uh, Amy and Andrew to read two graphic novels, one by Jeff Lemire, who has sort of taken over the DC superhero reigns. He's kind of running their universe right now. But this is not superheroes. This is uh, basically an indie movie in graphic novel form, uh, The Underwater Welder, and uh, Alison Bechdahl's graphic memoir about her father and her childhood growing up in a uh, restoration home, uh, a fun home, which is uh, emotionally scarring and uh, incredibly depressing. Um, so uh, that's what we're going to be approaching uh, for, for two weeks from now. Why don't you guys say uh, briefly who you've been and where you can fi- be found on the interwebs. Ladies first. Okay, I am Amy Watts. I am Amy Watts on Twitter, so you can remember it that way. I have a blog I update not very often. I'm on, oh, just find me on Twitter and I'll tell you where else I am. <laughs> uh, I am Dan Suter. I am. You can find me at Naked Baby Photos on uh, on Twitter. That's a Ben Folds Five a B Sides and Demos album, uh, not anything else. And uh, I've been posting essays on my the, my eponymous website, dansuter.com, D-A-N-S-U-I-T-O-R.com. So that's where you can find me. Great. So until next time, you can find the the podcast at buzzrentrave.com and show notes there. And you can find me on Twitter at Andrew Raff. Boom.
Wait, we were, we, I thought we made really good time, guys. We were highly efficient. Yes, this is only Yeah, except be... for that we only talked about a third of our outline. Well, you know what? I'd rather be economical than, uh, than, than too rambling. We got a little off track, but I thought it was all interesting, and that's what matters.